With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What have I done? Hog fans. Everything my family, my father built. Arkansas. Legacy is more than bricks and mortar, sir. I wanted to save Fayetteville. I failed. Why do we fall, sir? So that we can learn to pick ourselves up. Still haven't given up on me. Never. Welcome to the third ever, first ever episode of this podcast called Woo Pod Sui. My name is Tucker Partridge and this is my co-host, Saul Malone. Say hi, Saul. How we doing, folks? Saul Malone here. We are here to bring you the latest, greatest information on all Arkansas sports. We have decided that we have had so much to talk about in recent weeks based on certain performances by Arkansas on the football field that we just had to go into audio. We, yeah, we were just going to keep it to articles and Twitter posts, but we were so bad, we had to get on a microphone. Print media can't do it justice, so we had to grab a mic and take it from there. Uh, We are excited to bring you some content that we hope you will enjoy, and we will all kind of huddle together and process the pain. Yeah, this is a safe place. This is a safe place for Arkansas fans, although we do plan on kind of bringing up some old wounds. Uh, But, you know, talking about your pain helps you process it. Yada, yada. Let us begin. Let's talk about it. We are a third of the way through the 2019 Arkansas Razorback football season. Uh, We're just going to do a quick breakdown uh, of the first three games in particular before we get into the last game with San Jose State and kind of the outlook of where the program is headed this year. Uh, but just as a reminder, Arkansas has won two football games this year. Uh, started off with a win at Portland State. Uh, that was back when we had two QBs, uh, Ben Hicks and Nick Starkle, both getting reps. Uh, ben, ben went 14 for 29 for 143 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, that game, while Nick went 4 for 5 for 48 yards, no touchdowns and one interception. A game that Rakeem Boyd really shined in, 14 carries for 114 yards and a touchdown. Devwal Whaley also adding 9 carries for 21 yards and a touchdown. And Chase Hayden and Devion Warren also chipping in some carries for 28 yards and 37 yards, respectively. Uh, kind of saw some of the issues in that game pop up that we have been facing throughout the season. Uh, we gave up 70 yards and penalties, uh, flag seven times, pretty pretty bad, uh, pretty undisciplined football game, but we did come out with a W. Uh, we only gave up 75 yards on the ground uh, and 155 through the air, so pretty good defensive performance. Uh, three interceptions as well, so, you know, started off not an incredible win, but a win and, you know, gave us some hope. Headed into the next week, which where we faced Ole Miss, uh, first SEC game of the year, um, and you know, Ole Miss is always kind of a weird game. The Hunter, the Hunter Henry heave, the seven overtime game, just a Henry of weird stuff happening. So, not a whole bunch uh, of reason to doubt that we could compete. But you know, never know what's going to happen in that sort of game. Uh, in that game, we gained 361 total yards. Ben Hicks went seven for 16 for 98 yards. Nick Starkle came in in relief and went 17 for 24 for 201 yards and a touchdown. And to me, I don't know if you want to chime in here. That's when, obviously kind of came to fruition that Nick Starkle was our starting quarterback. Absolutely. Um, I think after the first game, you know, there were question marks wondering if this was going to be it with the Ben Hicks era and uh, was a little disappointed that we didn't see more of Starkle in week one. But unfortunately, that's the way the game was going that we could not put in backup quarterbacks um, because it was closer. Yeah, cl- um, Close game. Closer than I think we wanted it to be. 
Yeah. And you start seeing a trend that obviously we'll speak on later, but um, Adam Ford, who is a writer for us, an outstanding writer for us, um, has covered kind of some deep dives into the advanced stats. Um, and something that we started seeing in week one that he start, started seeing then is that in that week one, in that week one game against Portland State, we gained 59% of possible yards, meaning that from where we started, we gained 59% of the yards possible to the end zone. Um, that usually equates to you getting around 34 points. So you could almost convince yourself that we had some fluky mistakes, two turnovers in the red zone uh, with, I'm counting that clock catastrophe as a turnover. Yeah, it's fair. It sort of felt like maybe this was an anomaly that um, the offense was having some trouble gelling maybe, but it was the first week. It was hot. Um, wondered maybe if it was going to be a situation where we kind of took it easy and we're in like third gear, but not really kicking it up yet. And then you head into the Ole Miss game and that problem of not finishing drives continues. Um, we were... I thought, able to move on Ole Miss for a while. And even though Hicks struggled, he still managed to pull together some pretty decent throws. And when Starkle comes in, all of a sudden we do have an offense. 17 of 24 for 201 yards and a touchdown coming in late into the game is not bad. Definitely nothing to sneeze at. No. And so you think, well, maybe they got the quarterback wrong again this year, but... Now we've got him, and then all of a sudden, the defense just decided that we were done playing defense. And after a week one performance that I thought showed that maybe our defense had changed and developed, all of a sudden takes a massive step back, and we make Matt Coral look for look like a Heisman candidate. Yeah, 483 yards given up, 246 passing, 247 yards rushing. Scotty Phillips of Ole Miss went for 26 carries for 143 yards, and two touchdowns just ran all over us. And unfortunately, uh, over the next few games, that kind of becomes the trend. We do not lock it down on defense and just give up chunks uh, of of yardage. Uh, that said, there were some great, you know, some defensive standouts uh, in the Ole Miss game. Uh, Bumper Pool, first ballot Hall of Fame defensive football name. Uh, nine tackles and a tackle for a loss. Cameron Curl with eight total tackles and a 69-yard. Very cool. Uh, scoop and score fumble recovery. Nice. Uh, we also had Joe uh, Fouché with a fumble recovery. And, uh, you know, we, we, we showed some flashes, I would say. You know, I, I, I wasn't necessarily panicked I, I was concerned but I wasn't panicked because like I said Ole Miss is a team that's kind of known even when they're not good they're going to put up yards they always have really good wideouts they always have a really good uh, offensive scheme and Rich Rodriguez while maybe not the name he used to be is still a very good coach and a very good offensive corner so wasn't exactly hitting panic mode uh, but just kind of was concerned that we decided to to bend so much um, which you know next game I was like okay uh, another kind of a, a game that I felt like this is ours, we should have no problem. Uh, and I won't say that it was the prettiest or easiest win, but Colorado State came to town and we handled our business. Um, we know it, it It took a while to get there, but not too bad. Uh, our biggest offensive performance of the year so far, we gained 520 total yards. Starkle went 20 for 35 for 305 yards and three touchdowns. Rakeem Boyd went nuts with 20 carries uh, for 122 yards and two touchdowns. Devwal Whaley added nine carries for 81 yards and an additional touchdown. We gained 26 first downs uh, despite being five for 15 on third down. Uh, so really good, strong offensive performance. Nick Starkle looked in command of the offense, looked comfortable, looked like he knew what he was doing, which was something I thought Ben Hicks had been lacking uh, throughout the season. So it was good to see a guy stand in the pocket, make throws, make decisions, and just be aware of what was going on. Yeah, it uh, was a little frustrating coming into it, and I think there was some frustration that we vented in some of our articles um, that the quarterback position uh, seemingly was up for grabs when maybe it shouldn't have been. Um, I think we all as fans kind of realized, oh, Starkle maybe is much better in terms of a fit uh, in this offense. And um, you saw last year where 
the wrong quarterback was chosen at the beginning of the season, and here we are again. So I guess those questions sort of start to pop up. And you get the win. We got the win, so it's hard to be upset when it's a win, especially with a win that kind of felt like it had that swagger about it that, okay, maybe this team's making some progress. We saw Devois Whaley run for nine. He had nine carries for 81 yards and a touchdown, but I almost feel like it looked like he was running more than that. I would wager to say that this is the best game that he played as a Razorback, Um, especially for somebody who is so hyped up coming in as a recruit. Um, The Defense gave up a bunch early, but then all of a sudden became locked down. It uh, Then you have, of course, C.J. O'Grady's amazing touchdown run where he pulled at least 11 men into the end zone. I, I need to see that. I, I just need to go back and watch that every week just to know that we can do stuff like that. You know, put that on. Put that put that highlight on my grave, and uh, when when I die as a Razorback fan, I I don't mind if that's on my grave because that was just just sheer grown man strength. He was not going to be denied points, and that's the thing is the offense was not going to be denied points. Um, the defense maybe was giving a little bit, but the offense was taking its share too. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I think I feel like in his tenure. Uh, you saw a Chad Morris offense that looked fun, that looked innovative, that looked like, oh, maybe this guy's an X's and O's guy who can put together a product on the field that's really going to get the ball moving and maybe upset some people. We may yeah. not be able to defend yet, but, hey, we can move the ball. Kind of fulfilling the promise of the left lane hammered down motto that you know he brought into favor last year that we did not really see. Uh, you know, it, and it was fun. It was fun. I remember, I remember watching that game and being excited. Um, which you know, obviously, as a Razorback fan, is something to be tempered at at most times. But I felt, you know, hey, great, we got this this win. We're going into next week where we have you know another non conference team where we can gear up before we really get into the thick of SEC play, and just kind of expected the same sort of performance. That, however, would not happen did not come to pass did not come to pass uh i think uh i don't know do we want to get into it you want to just dive right into it just want to spiritually emotionally kind of prepare yourself to discuss the san jose state game oh boy razorback fans hold on to your hats because here we go (laughs) i don't know where to begin uh i will say that you know obviously i just think there needs to be some self-reflection amongst the Arkansas Razorback coaching staff. I will start there. I don't know what's going on in that locker room. I won't pretend to know. I don't pretend to know what Coach Morris and his staff are thinking. Uh, But I do know that I was a little bit embarrassed to be a Razorback fan. And, you know, there's always a little bit of self-depreciation that comes with being a fan of the Razorbacks, and, you know, I can take it in stride. But that was just ugly for a a Mountain West team that won one game last year. 1-11, 1-11, to come into our home and put up 503 yards of offense on our defense in front of a home crowd that quickly dissipated. I just, it was tough. It was really tough. I I was devastated. And uh, if you read some of my pieces afterward, I'm sure you could tell that. Um, but I have kind of gone out on a limb, and I think that this is the worst loss in program history. Um, Obviously, there are some weird ones, like a 222-0 loss to Oklahoma, I think, uh, in like 1901 or something. Uh, But in terms of where we are, what our position is in the country, and where we are with Chad Morris, this was a massive massive letdown. Um, I was there at the ULM game. I was there at the North Texas game. I watched the Colorado State game last year. I was negative three years old uh, when the Citadel beat us. Um, But I, I almost feel like there's a justification for each of those games. With the Citadel, yes, obviously, that is... If... San Jose State is not the worst loss in program history, which I realize is a hot take. Um, The Citadel would be. And so the fact that we're even in that conversation is horrifying. 
But then you have the ULM loss in 2012. Uh, you can write that as a transition year with John L. Smith, who we all know is a rocket scientist of a coach. Tyler Wilson was coaching that team on the Tyler fly. Wilson was coaching that team. Uh, so you almost understand, okay, uh, I'll throw that out, you know, as a weird one-time loss. North Texas, they had a good quarterback and a decent team. So maybe you say, oh, they – you know that that they had the better players that year. Um, Colorado State. It took a last second uh, touchdown for them to beat us. You've got the Toledo loss even under Brett Bielema. Matt Campbell was the head coach, and as much of a garbage guy as he might be, Kareem Hunt was their running back that day. So it's you see these instances of talent winning out, and you're in a rebuild almost all of these. And here we are with the second year of Chad Morris's tenure, and you're dropping a game to one of, if not the worst, teams in all of Division I football. We paid a million and a half dollars. We gave them a million and a half dollars to come play us because we needed to get warmed up for A&M. You know, and I, I understand wanting to have a team like that on the schedule, and I understand you know wanting to get ready for your gauntlet of uh, of a schedule coming up with SEC West and SEC East teams to play, and that's going to be a tough, a tough, a tough go for us. And I understand wanting to get warmed up, but if you can't focus enough to win that game, I don't know what you're going to do when it's time to play a real team. And no, I I think you're absolutely right um, because now you're left with the question: What can you do? Um, you lost to San Jose State. They went one and eleven last year. <laughs> and just, just, I just, just so we have it, I'm going to get some quick notes on on the game. Uh, just some quick offensive notes. Nick Starkle, twenty eight of fifty, three hundred fifty six yards, three touchdowns, five interceptions, five brutal interceptions. I might add, they were ugly. No, no you know, no, like, oh well, fifty fifty ball. They were some poorly advised throws. Um, and Rakeem Boyd, 18 carries for 91 yards. Uh, really gutsy performance by him, I thought. Still battled. Devwal Whaley, 12 carries for 32 yards. Now, I will say this. Uh, I'm not one to shit on college-age people playing a sport for my entertainment. You know, I have to take a step back and realize that's what it is. I will give our team credit and say they did not stop fighting. Now, I hate that we had to fight against San Jose State. That's not what you want to do. You don't have to battle. You don't have to battle a Mountain West team. That said, it would have been really easy for Nick Starkle to check out of this game. Five interceptions, uh, just a real bad performance. But that said, I don't think we ever stopped trying to win. Um, now, I, I can't, I'm, not gonna, I'm not one for moral victories. We lost to, we lost to San Jose State, period. Yeah, we battled. Yeah, we came back. We didn't give up. Who cares? You know, we lost. But there is something to be said about a quarterback that can throw five interceptions and still come back and throw for almost 400 yards and still try to lead his team back to a victory. The problem there is I almost don't put the interceptions on him. You know, I mean, like, I know that's weird to say, um, considering that they were just some really ill-advised throws. But the fact that he had so many yards, the fact that he had to have 356 yards for us to be competing against San Jose State, yeah, you're going to throw some interceptions trying to get it back. And we did for a little bit look like we were going to get it back and maybe steal a win back from a team that we should not be stealing a win for. But you saw moments again of that bright promise Trey Knox and Mike Woods looked amazing, and Cam Curl once again was making plays on defense. I think that they can hold their heads high, and I think if you're Nick Starkle, you could hold your head high. It, I almost, and I don't know uh, what level of take this is, <laughs> but I put this one solely on the coaching staff. Yeah. Um, I saw... I think, you know, I think I will say the players did. I think they, you know, they still have deserved the right to wear Arkansas on their jersey. I don't, I just don't know what the coaches are doing. And I feel bad that they've kind of left our team and these kids kind of hung out to dry. Um, and it's just, it's just, we, you don't know where 
where we're going. You know, we don't know what's going on. We seem just kind of listless. I mean, Chad Morris's press conference was, you know. Coach speak. Coach speak. He talked a lot about effort and getting beaten, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. This I'll tell you what this game reminded me of. Uh, I remember I went to homecoming when we played Coastal Carolina. Hmm. And Cole Kelly had to mount a comeback against Coastal Carolina on our homecoming date. And that's what I thought of watching this game. Um, just a struggle against a inferior team that came to our home turf and outclassed us in every facet of the game and, like, struggling to find passion for Arkansas football. And I think that is where the problem is going to start coming in because if I am four games into the season and I am looking at the baseball schedule and thinking about, hey, maybe we're I think we're looking really good for Omaha this year, and I don't care about the A&M game and I don't particularly care – you know, when we play LSU in Alabama, I, I can't fathom that I'm going to even want to watch. I don't think it's going to be very pretty. I probably will because I like the Razorbacks and love the team and want to keep supporting them, but I can't pretend that a sense of apathy is starting to creep into my fandom this season. Not overall, but, man, this season, if we're going to go out and put up this kind of performance against a Mountain West team, I cannot fathom what a run through the SEC West is going to look like for us. It is the death of a program when fans become apathetic. Uh, obviously, it's great times when the fans are really happy, but even when the fans are really angry, that's them being engaged. When you look at attendance numbers with Colorado State and see one of the lowest turnouts in program history, and you look at the attendance for San Jose State and see one of the lowest turnouts in program history, all of a sudden, that apathy is starting to set in. And after that loss, there will not be more people showing up to games. In fact, there will be probably many fewer because who wants to make the drive to Fayetteville to watch that? And I don't, you know, it. it I hate it. I hate it for the players, but I hate it for the fans too. I think that Arkansas fans deserve better. You saw yeah. this all over Twitter, um, but we are one of the top 25 teams in revenue. We are one of the top 25 teams in historical like winning percentage. And we're in the SEC in yeah. a state where they are the only game in town, where everyone knows your name, where everyone loves you, and you can put it together in – baseball and we've put it together in basketball and we've put it together in football before do not tell me that it cannot be done here yeah this is a this is a story story program incredible players and and teams of the past and you know it's the idea that we, we can't do it now is frustrating and again i understand that this is a second year coach we're working on getting his guys in but and to be fair to him, his guys have looked very good. Yes. Uh, the recruiting he's done, especially receiver, looks like it's going to pan out. Those guys are going to be really good assets to the team moving forward. And I I am no doubt excited about that. I really do think there's a lot of bright young talent on our team that could be productive for years to come. But if you go out and coach a game and set your players up to lose like that, I don't know who's going to want to play for you. And who's going to want to compete for you? Now, to their credit, that didn't—I didn't see a shade of that in you know the San Jose State game. But who's to say that won't creep in when you're seven weeks into the season and you're tired and you're beat up and you're losing by forty to LSU? You know. Um, so again, I think it comes back to what does the coaching staff need to do to fix the game plan to get themselves in a position to win and to best utilize our players to their advantage. It seems to me that there are problems all across the board, and I guess this game has shaken my confidence in Morris's ability to solve those problems. With John Chavis, you thought you were getting the chief of Tennessee, LSU, and A&M success. Um, the first game sort of looked like maybe we could do that and then all of a sudden we've become one of the leakier defenses in college football 
We made a guy, <laughs> Josh Love at San Jose State, look like a uh, Davy O'Brien Award winner. <laughs> um, that's not okay. <laughs> and so there are questions there. But then on the other side of the football, you see Rakeem Boyd being forced to run in between the tackles into a stacked box over and over and over again. And I just don't understand trying to be a power run team when you're also running a spread offense. Um, it was incredibly frustrating to watch. And if you read our article by Adam Ford, you can see some more details broken down with that. But he raises an interesting point. Um, and it's that we don't know now what kind of coach Chad Morris is. In, his, in Adam's theory, there are tactical coaches and process coaches. Tactical coaches bring superior X's and O's. Uh, they make the talent play above its level by scheme. And then process coaches take a while to get going because they upgrade the talent with recruiting. But with that said, you have to have some early results go your way. We thought we were getting a tactical coach with an X's and O's guy who revolutionized Clemson's offense and rebuilt SMU. Um, but now you're not really seeing those X's and O's pan out. I've seen nothing from the offense that looks like it's going to be some crazy innovative thing. And I don't know that we're a school where you can do the process. Maybe he'll prove me wrong and recruit some really, really good classes, but... I think that's going to be increasingly difficult with losses like this. In the first year, you can tell kids, look, we are going to be playing a lot of young guys, so you're going to have some early playing time, and we may have some rough spots, but you'll get to play. Can you tell kids that after a loss to San Jose State? Would somebody rather come play for us than A&M or... Alabama or LSU, you're not going to beat those guys offering up a team that just lost to San Jose State. <laughs> yeah, that's not not a great look for recruiting. Um, but let's, if we can, let's not ruminate. This game is over. Not, I mean, as much as I wish that we could go back and and redo it and win, it's it's gone. Um, and I I think the long and short of it is. Let's do some soul searching, but ultimately we got to get ready because we have a gauntlet of a schedule coming up. Let me just run. Let me just run through what we got coming up. We got next this upcoming weekend. Obviously, we got the A and M game. Uh, then we got a nice little break. We got a week. It's our week off. Then after that, we go straight into Kentucky, followed by Auburn, followed by Alabama, and then homecoming uh, at, with Mississippi State coming to town. Then we get a little bit of a break. Uh, with Western Kentucky after that. Um, I got to say, and I think from kind of the polls and the things that we've seen on ArkansasFight.com, I don't feel confident in any of these games except for maybe Western Kentucky. No. And the the off week. I feel good about the off week because we can't lose. (laughs) I, you've seen over the course of the year, we've been polling fans about their confidence in the direction of the program. And we have to have a pretty significant number of fans respond to these for us to run them because we're not going to run a poll that had three voters. You've seen the numbers kind of fluctuate with the performances. We started out with 64.7% people saying yes, that they were confident after the Portland State game. Well, after a shaky start, that sort of makes sense. Then after the Ole Miss game, we dropped down to 30%. Maybe we're not headed in the right direction. But then after the Colorado State game, you see that number rise to 78.6%. That is the defining moment of the Chad Morris era so far, I think, because the fans started to believe again. The fans saw some tangible evidence of improvement, and it looked like maybe we had gotten things on track. Well... We took a poll after the San Jose State game, (laughs) and I am amazed to report this, but 0% of our respondents said they are confident in the program's direction. None. Not one person. Not one person. And I voted in that poll. We both voted in that poll. And I just am not 
sure that this is the kind of fan uproar that a coach can survive. I am not one to lightly throw out, you know, that we should fire someone. And I'm not even sure that I'm ready to say that about Morris yet. But this is the kind of fan reaction that you can't survive. When the fans turn on you like this and 0% are confident about the way it's going, you're going to have to start putting together some results. And when you look at that gauntlet of SEC games coming up, do you see a win there? I... I don't. I don't even know if I see a, a competitive game. Maybe Kentucky. Um, Kentucky, although just took a very good Florida team to the wire, and and are lucky, and are just got some bad breaks. Florida kind of got lucky. Uh, that was a very winnable game for Kentucky, and they hung with Florida, who was a very good team, despite you know losing Felipe Franks. Um, I think they lost him in that game actually, uh, with Trask coming in. But that's, that said, I I don't know. I don't think so. And like. As much as I want to be a homer and be like, you know, well, we just need some breaks, or maybe, you know, we get, we get, you know, some something goes our way. You think a team that gave up 508 yards, or five, excuse me, 503 yards to uh, San Jose State is gonna do well against Tua? <laughs> you know what I mean? You think, you think we're gonna contain him? You think we're gonna contain, you know, Bo Nix or Kellen Mond? I don't, I don't think so. You know, and I love. Man, love our team and, and always, you know, want to be a glass-half-full guy. But, my goodness, this upcoming run of games, I just don't think it's going to be pretty. Uh, A&M, we always, for some reason, are able to kind of hang or at least make it close in the fourth quarter down in Dallas, down in Jerry World. That must be something with him being there or, you know, some secret sauce we get before the game. It's always at least interesting. But I don't see a game on this schedule where I'm picking us to come out on top. There is also a lack of confidence, I feel like, among the coaching staff. Um, There was a quote that I read today that was really, really troubling for me, and we can kind of discuss this out further. Um, But in a press conference, our offensive coordinator, Joe Craddock, was asked about our line struggles after they played really well against Colorado State. Um, He was asked kind of why they couldn't really get anything going against San Jose State. Um... And he said, we felt like Colorado State's D-line was better than San Jose's, but we didn't prove that. He was asked further what he thinks the cause of those struggles were. And he said, quote, I think they played not so well the other night. I don't know what it was. It's something you'll have to ask them. End quote. That is unacceptable for a coach to say. Gross. You cannot say that as a head coach. I mean, that's essentially just grabbing up all your players, throwing them under the yellow route bus at the union, and letting it run them over. Hey, I, I don't want to. I don't want to deal with this. You guys deal with this. And, and I know people were trying to provide context of they were, you know, comparing the Colorado State versus San Jose. I don't give a crap about context here. That's not something you do to young men, to college age kids that are going out and competing and playing football for you. That's and if you do. don't think that recruits see that and think, oh, I'm not going to go play for this guy because if I mess up, he's going to throw me under the bus. That is where you start seeing decommits. That is where you start seeing recruiting issues. I just. We have had one player decommit already. Um, obviously, there's no way to prove whether or not that that's due to this loss. But I hope to God we don't start seeing a domino effect because that's when this staff will be in trouble. The timing is a little suspect. Like you said, again, there's no way to pinpoint the the decommit to this loss and that quote or yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, if we're using our context clues, we can all kind of infer maybe what the reason was that maybe this certain recruit wouldn't want to play here. And, you know, that's, that's his choice. It's one of the few choices college athletes have is that their handling of their recruitment so if that young and let me be clear i do not begrudge him for decommitting and i hope that nobody listening is upset with that please don't tweet at recruit (laughs) (laughs) but you uh, no ownership um and i feel like if anything the school of coach speak is supposed to teach you that it's always your fault It's always your fault. 
even if it's not your fault, it's your fault. It's your fault. And because that's what, these are kids. These are 18, 20 year old kids. And they have moved across the country or across the state to come play for you unpaid and pay your salary. And you're going to throw them under the bus like that. I just, that I was very disappointed. Yeah. With Jeff uh, yeah. there. Uh, not to sound, yeah, not again, not to sound like the team mom, but that is just, just disheartening to read. To see that your coach and is gonna just so willing to to shirk responsibility, and I get that this loss is tough, and that no one wants to wear that, and everyone's got a little egg on their face. But that's your job as the coach. You got to get your boys coached up, and if you don't get them coached up, that's on you. There is not so much an egg on his face as a continental breakfast. Real La Quinta in spread, uh, for sure. Just yeah, again, embarrassing. You know, it's, and I I'm glad to see that our fans kind of on Twitter just kind of were exhibiting the same sort of reaction that we had of just hey, you don't do that to these kids. They hustled, they played. Yeah, then we didn't get the outcome that we wanted. That's football sometimes, but you don't get to shirk your responsibilities as a coach and decide that you're gonna defer all questions to these kids to to handle. This isn't the NFL. There isn't like you know these are kids going to school and balancing being student athletes that are still learning what it is to play this game at a higher level, uh, and it's on you to help them get there. And if you don't want to handle everything that kind of comes with that, maybe don't be a coach, or maybe don't be a coach at this level. With that, we need to take a quick break. Coming up, we will be discussing one Bobbert Petrino. And maybe the future of what Chad Morris looks like. We will be right back. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. Back and hopefully better than ever. Um, Now we are going to take a little aside to talk about Arkansas's favorite son. And by Arkansas, of course, I mean Montana's favorite son. (laughs) One Bobby Petrino. Bobby P. The man, the myth, the legend, question mark. Oh, he's a legend. Uh, Make no mistake. It may not be the type of legend you want, but the man is a legend. The legend of the Bob was so hardcore. We are seeing some uh, interesting trends rising among the Arkansas faithful, and that is the uh, affliction (laughs) known as Bobby Brain. Bobby we brain. have Bobby on the brain, and I think it is destroying some brain cells. The Bob, Bring Bobby Back war cry is at peak volume. Uh, you know, with smatterings of it after the loss to Ole Miss, and a righteous choir after this loss to San Jose State. And I think we at Arkansas Fight have a pretty coherent... Uh, response to this and i i i'm frustrated i yeah. am frustrated that this is happening again i am too with that said i get it we both do i Let's get start it there i miss winning i miss good arkansas football winning was so nice uh god i if you were to just show me a highlight of ryan mallet slinging all over the field or Darren McFadden just ripping off a run, I would weep uh, for what we have lost. But there are some issues here that I feel like aren't being discussed in the Arkansas media, and it is growing incredibly irritating. I enjoy looking back at when we were in the conversation of being the third best team in the country, too. And we've all suffered heartache, and we've all had goals and expectations that weren't met. But... You can't bring back Bobby Petrino. You can't do it. Everyone, we've all got, I feel like, and we'll get into it, real, you know, we're about to get into it, but just the rose-colored glasses that everyone likes to put on, the Arkansas red, if you will, glasses. I will. That everyone likes to put on. When looking back on the good times we had with Bobby P, it just seems to kind of take some white out and put it over kind of everything else that happened. Uh, which let's let's talk about what happened, you know, because I feel like people forget. 
I think where the best place to start is with one Arkansas media legend, one Wally Hall. My boy. A man with a syndicated sports column in the major newspaper of Arkansas. And as much as I tend to disagree with Mr. Hall's opinions, I think it's one to consider given his stature. He began a column when the Little Rock Touchdown Club announced that Bobby Petrino would be speaking, that polarizing Bobby Petrino remains a person of interest. In the fourth sentence, yes, I counted, (laughs) he stated what might as well have been his thesis. He said, what did Bobby Petrino do to the University of Arkansas? He made one mistake, the same mistake that is made too often every day all over the world, (laughs) He paid dearly, it cost him his job, and he's been tiptoeing home for Chile ever since. What did Bobby Petrino do? (laughs) Folks, Folks. I hope you're ready for a list, (laughs) because I have got a decades-long list, decades with an S, and I am ready to go. Are you ready for this? Oh, baby. 2001. Bobby Petrino leaves his job as offensive coordinator with the Jacksonville Jaguars for the same role at Auburn, all without alerting his boss, Tom Coughlin. 2003, a year into his tenure at Auburn, Petrino takes the head coaching job with Louisville. He then secretly interviews at Auburn behind the backs of his current boss, Tom Jurek, and previous boss at Auburn, Tommy Tuberville. The man was interviewing for the job of his former boss. Tommy Tubbs. May he rest in peace. He's not dead, but God rest his soul. <laughs> 2004 to 2006. Petrino says, I am not interested in any other coaching jobs. While secretly interviewing with the Oakland Raiders, LSU, and Notre Dame, among other schools. He is rewarded with a raise for loyalty. 2006. Petrino signs a 10 year extension with Louisville and quote isn't going anywhere Bobby Petrino walked so John Gruden could run folks 10 years how often do you see that in football in college football particularly. 2007 Petrino joins the Atlanta Falcons from Louisville a year after signing a 10-year extension in that same year of 2007, Petrino leaves the Mike Vickless Advan- Atlanta Falcons. I almost went Transylvanian there. Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> a 78-word letter of resignation <laughs> that was not delivered to the players, but taped to the locker room door. <laughs> he resigns to take the Arkansas job. That's us. He earns the nicknames from his previous coaching staff at Atlanta, Coward and Gutless Bastard. Really, really catchy nicknames. Really roll off the tongue. 2008, Petrino's a hog. He becomes the head hog, and we see many years of happiness and success. We see growth. We see great players come in and make great plays. We play in a sugar bowl. We play and win the Cotton Bowl. We are at one point the number three team in the country in a year that featured two historically great teams, mind you, in the same division in Alabama, the eventual national champions, and LSU, who played in the national championship. 2012, a day that we all know so well, April 1st, Petrino has a motorcycle crash. He tampers with a witness, telling them not to call 911 after the motorcycle crash because, gasp, it is revealed he has a mistress. Well, I'm willing to let that go, I think. Yeah. I think so would his bosses be. I hate that that happened, but it's between him and his wife. I don't think that's fireable. But wait, Razorback fans. He has hired his mistress to the football team over vastly more qualified candidates. That's problematic and definitely illegal. (laughs) But wait, fans, there's more. He siphons $20,000 from the football program to buy his mistress gifts, despite making a salary of at least $4 million a year. (laughs) Let me just say, first of all, I'm not a rich man. If 
if someone were to, if someone were to siphon me twenty thousand dollars, it would change my life. And this guy was using it on gifts for an illegally hired to the athletic department extramarital affair mistress. Like, just a double whammy of a situation there. Uh, and I would also like to say, you know, hey, all those things didn't happen to us at Arkansas. And granted, I'll take that point. That's fine. That said, with all these things that happened prior to his hiring for the Razorbacks, is that a guy that you're in love with? Is that a guy that you're like, oh, man, that guy's character and, mor- and, and moral standings really fire me up? Which, again, I get that points and coaching speak a lot louder than you know morals and that sort of thing. We've seen the inside inner, inner workings of college football. Mor- morality doesn't always win out. And it's a dirty business. It's a dirty business, and I get that. You know, I'm not naive, that sort of thing. That said, it's not like this guy aw shucks us into the situation. It, it is, there's a pattern of gross behavior. We knew. We knew. My, to quote my ever-wise dad, uh, Bobby Petrino, when he was first hired, had a speaking session at the Saline County Razorbacks Club. Shout out Benton, Arkansas. Um, my dad said, and I quote, the day, like the week after he was hired, I think he's a weasel, but I guess he's our weasel now. So, 2012, that happens. We knew he was a weasel. We knew he was a weasel. And so we have the big press conference where national media is seeing us fire a head coach for all these things that are, by the way, your donations to the university's uh, athletic fund being siphoned away. Um, So he gets fired. But wait, we're not done. A lot of the myth around Bobby Petrino revolves around, well, he wins football games. Maybe that's true at the beginning, but now we see 2013, Petrino's hired at Western Kentucky. He states that, we hope that we can be here as long as possible. Arkansas struggles since his departure and are categorized by one SEC coach who was anonymous as the result of bad recruiting, which is typical of a Bobby Petrino school, end quote. <laughs> 2014, Petrino returns to Louisville after hoping he can remain at Western Kentucky for as long as possible. Not a hilltopper. (laughs) 2016, Wake Forest's playbook is revealed to have been leaked to Louisville staff. They used that against Wake Forest, which is illegal. (laughs) Petrino claims he never knew. Are we to take him at face value after everything that's happened? I can't, I can't do it. Look, <laughs> and I am a guy that loves seeing Arkansas win football games more than a lot of things. It's one of my favorite things to see. Some would say a top three good thing. Maybe my, yeah, I love helping out my friends, and I love seeing the Arkansas Razorback win football games. Now, again, the, the idea that this man has suffered because of this is laughable to me. The man continued coaching Division One football for a long time afterwards, and is still his name. Whenever an op, an, a, a coaching kind of you know a coaching position comes open, it's not uncommon to be like, "Well, Bobby Petrino's out there." His name is considered; it's tossed in the hat, even if for a joke. The people that have suffered are Arkansas fans, and yet somehow we got mad at all the wrong people. Bobby Petrino suffered really no, I mean, um, there was immediate backlash because it's embarrassing for the school that you, you crashed your motorcycle with your mistress on it and all the details afterwards. That's embarrassing. We're embarrassed. But long term, Bobby Petrino did not suffer at the hands of Arkansas fans. But all the people dis- all the people involved in the decision to let him go uh, took it on the chin from us for some reason. I do think, uh, following it up, uh, that it's worth noting that by the end of his coaching, uh, most recent coaching tenure, he wasn't even winning games. Um, he loses uh, Lamar Jackson, who is incredible and is balling out in the NFL right now. Um, and all of a sudden, they're bad. They go eight and five, and then two and eight, and he is let go, but not 
after ensuring that his contract stipulated that he would receive a $14 million buyout. So we have 20 years of shenanigans and subterfuge, but Bobby Petrino only made one small mistake. One mistake, and he still had to tiptoe home for Chile. That's the real shame here. He had to be careful around his wife who he cheated on. Yes, and the real shame is that he has to tiptoe home for Chile, not that his wife is dealing with infidelity. No, that's the real problem here. And I would also like to say, if any of you, if you are listening to this, and if Tucker or I did any of these things at any job that we've ever had, we would be fired immediately and not welcome back into the industry of which we were fired from. And would probably struggle to get a job again. Like, anywhere. Now, all of this culminates in him attending a speech at the Little Rock Touchdown Club, which, inherently, I'm not opposed to. I think, you know, it's been several years. I mean, the point of the Little Rock Touchdown Club is to get engaging speakers, and I would think that he qualifies as that. And if anything, it's like watching a train wreck. So I'm intrigued. I'm not upset that that invitation was extended. Now, we have a video that's gone essentially pretty viral among the Hog fans, and I think it's a touching sentiment. He has tears in his eyes when he says, I wanted to be able to come here and apologize to everybody, the fans, the players, and truly tell you how sorry I am for the way it ended. I also wanted to come here and thank you for everything the people in this room and this state did for me and my family. You were great to us. The best optimistic side of me wants to believe that he means this. But after 20 years of Bobby Petrino Petrananigans, um, maybe it's tinfoil hat talk. Maybe I don't want this to happen. It seems very convenient to me that he chooses this moment to apologize. We're in the middle of football struggles, the likes of which haven't been seen in years in this program. This is happening after the loss to Ole Miss, but before the Colorado State game. There's enough administrative turnover for there to be, you know, wounds maybe papered over or forgotten. Yeah. So he's angling for the Arkansas job. It's, I, you know, and I'm not a big tinfoil hat guy either, but I don't think you are necessarily wrong. I don't know if it's right, but when you say it, it doesn't hit me as, oh, that's wrong, and Tucker's being crazy. Uh, I will, And I do that sometimes. Yeah, like You've had some hot takes. I, this isn't the hottest take you've had. I don't even know if it's the hottest take you've had on this episode. Uh, <laughs> but, I, again, I just – just, the, yeah, the timing is suspicious. And I just think he's pulling a fast one on fans that, again, deserve better. Yes, we have a bad product on the field right now, but I don't want to self-destruct or sell my soul even more by being like, you know what, it's time. Let's bring this guy back. Uh, the first, the thing that, that gets me that, that I still can't get over is when you Google Bobby Petrino, the first, not one, the first two pictures that come up, they're different, same picture just attributed to different websites. The first two pictures are the picture of him in that neck brace giving his press conference, letting everyone know what's going down. And that is where he lied to our faces aggressively and said that it was an accident and he's happy to be recovering. There was no one there and nothing else happened. A liar's press conference is the number one and number two result for images when it comes to a former coach at Arkansas. Now, I am all about, you know, I think grace abounds and second chances are great, yada, yada, yada. That said, just because we forgive you doesn't mean we need to forget what you did uh, and we get to, like, just pretend it didn't happen for the sake of winning. And again... At the, as we mentioned at the top of this discussion, we both understand the desire because, man, having a good football team is fun. It is fun to be in national conversation, to have your school be talked about in the same sentence as winning and championships and blah, blah, blah. That stuff is great. 
But I just think at the end of the day, Arkansas fans deserve better and are smarter than maybe Bobby or other fans are maybe getting us credit for. They may, maybe I think it's easy to just be like, oh, they're you know dumb old Arkansas. They'll take him back. You know they want to win that bad, and I don't think that's true. I think our fan base is better than that. And just the pundit class uh, kind of brazing over his issues as just a small mistake. I mean, in the review of that touchdown club speech, um, our friend, uh, friend of the show, Wally Hall, wrote that he made a personal mistake, a personal mistake, not one that affected the U of A, by the way, a personal mistake and was fired. The reason cited was for lying to his boss. If Jeff Long, the athletic director, had fired everyone who lied to him, he wouldn't have any employees left. (laughs) Real scorcher there, Wally. That is uh, truly an astounding take. All right, that is enough about Petrino. With that, let's talk about Chad. You know, I think just to kind of put a bow on it, we've got to see... We've got to just see some sort of improvement in in the defense especially. We need to see more consistency from Starkle. Uh, I, we've seen him play well, and I, we, we need more of that. And, you know, I, he fired up for this A&M game, and, you know, he said he thought he deserved to be the guy at A&M uh, when Kellen Mond was named the starter. And, you know, I think he's got a little bit of a fire in his belly when it comes to this team, but a fire in your belly is not going to – cover up all the issues that this team has. Uh, so I really am looking to see what kind of market improvements we make on both sides of the ball uh, at, the, at the A&M game down in Dallas. And I just, I don't know. Again, I think it comes back to we don't know what kind of coach Chad Morris is and what kind of team this will be. But I think after this game, we might have a little better picture than we do now. Uh, I don't think there's any reason to suspect that the team won't get up for this game. Um, it's set, you know, already a rivalry game, one that I personally, this is probably my favorite rivalry that we have. I despise A&M with all of my heart. My least favorite school followed closely by LSU. Uh, without a Very doubt. Very closely. Very closely. Definitely, like, bottom of my list of least favorite cults. But with that said... There's reason for them to be fired up. Starkle and Rakeem Boyd were both let out of A&M, so they have something to prove. John Chavis was fired by A&M, so he's got something to prove. And Chad Morris is facing all these questions. Well, we need to note he's a former Texas high school football coach who went where? To Texas A&M for college. He's got a lot to prove, too. I want to believe in my heart of hearts that... We can get up for this game, make the plays that need to happen, and at least keep it close and show some progress. A&M does not look unbeatable. They looked really rough in their game last week. But, man, it's going to take some kind of improvement from this week uh, to this coming Saturday. I agree. I agree. Again, you're right. I don't think – I'm not – I don't want to be a doom and gloom. I don't, I'm not an all hope is lost kind of guy. I do think, yeah, a lot of people on this team have a lot of reasons to want to beat A&M, uh, but we're going to need to take that motivation and translate it into production. Uh, and I think that's where the questions that we have are going to be answered one way or another. So really looking forward to this game. I'm glad the boys get a little bit of a break uh, after the A&M game, kind of rest up and get focused for that kind of murderer's row we have immediately following that that off week. With that said, this has been the third ever first ever episode of the Woo Pod Sui podcast. Uh, thank you very much to Saul Maloma, co-host. Thank you very much to Adam Ford, our advanced statistician who writes outstanding articles twice a week. Please check those out. I would also be remiss if I didn't thank my SB Nation colleagues Jason Kirk and Pete Volk for their documentation of Bobby's Ballyhoo. Um, We have a link to their timeline of his shenanigans on our website. 
Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please sign up for that SB Nation poll. Uh, we would love to continue to gauge the confidence in the program going forward and maybe see some positive numbers coming up instead of zero, or maybe see the first uh, negative percentages in history. Would be absolutely incredible. We're both on Twitter. Follow us for jokes and Arkansas takes, and follow Arkansas Fight on Twitter at Arkansas Fight. This is a uh, this is a weekly show. We'll be coming to you uh, at least once a week, if not more, with recaps of games as well as previews of the upcoming schedule. Uh, we might do a few emergency pods, considering how things may or may not go. Uh, we'll be covering all things Arkansas throughout the season. So, yeah, be sure to stay tuned. Please also uh, suggest us any kind of uh, things you want to hear. Obviously, this pod is for you, uh, the fan, and we want to make the best kind of fan podcast as possible. Uh, There are a lot out there, and we appreciate you for choosing us. Uh, Please be sure to give us some feedback on either Twitter or whatever podcast uh, service you're using. Thanks very much. This has been Woo Pod Sui. Woo Pig. Woo Pig.